Hello and welcome to the Kia Coachman Basketball Podcast, where I'm joined today with a very special guest who's been on a couple times already, and I love having him on, so he's back, Jackson Lloyd. How are you, man? Doing awesome. Once again, you made my day by having me on and just got done watching some great games, so I'm doing very well. <laughs> yeah, thank you for coming. Um, so yeah, let's get right into it. Today... The Celtics and Nets just played their game two. The Bulls and Bucks just finished their game two like 10, 15 minutes ago. And the Philadelphia 76ers went up 3-0 on the Raptors today. So I think we should start with the series that's on everyone's mind, I feel like. And that's Boston versus Brooklyn. Boston went out or came out on top today, getting a 2-0 lead over Brooklyn playing the best defense on Kevin Durant that has maybe ever been played on him. Uh, what are your thoughts on this series so far? Well, I had the caveat that for game two, I just watched the fourth quarter because I was watching the Philadelphia and Toronto game. So I have to catch up on that. But I just think the big thing to me is Boston is more or less willing to switch into any matchup for the most part. Now, you look through the rotation of the guys that are playing, and Pritchard's probably the point of weakness. So maybe you don't want him to switch across all positions. Uh, maybe Daniel Tice, you're going to have some issues on occasion. But just what Al Horford and Grant Williams are doing today, excellent stuff. And that's before we get into you know Marcus Smart, Jalen Brown, Jason Tatum, those guys that kind of have that established reputation as defenders and also important kind of caveat is they're missing a all-league type defender and Robert Williams on top of this. And to get a game to win when uh, just box score following for the first three quarters, it looked like it was kind of slipping from their grasp before they got it back together. In the fourth quarter, they held the Nets to about four points over a 10-minute stretch, which is incredible if you just look at who the Nets have. I know that we look at them as just Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving, but they have capable role players you know, at least uh, in the guard spots with Seth Curry. I know he's dealing with the ankle. And then Patty Mills, again, saluting shump, saluting shump, shooting slump, excuse me. <laughs> uh, and he's going through a slump. But those are capable shooters, guys who can knock down shots. And you never really view the Nets as the team that's going to go through these cold streaks. I know that when they had the big three, and I know that it's kind of hard to critique them because Ben Simmons hasn't played. I basically treated their offense as inevitable and I basically assumed they were going to go on a spurt in a game like a 15 to 4 run at some point it was just a matter of when so when you face them last year earlier this year and probably once they're back to full strength you have to assume that they're going to make a run at some point but uh they went cold uh you know it's cliche when it mattered most I think that with Durant in particular he's countered some of the physicality with being able to rip through for some fouls. You know, his drive game is more predicated on taking one or two dribbles, not getting all the way to the rim, and then taking a pull-up or establishing contact <laughs> that way. And I think there's been some difficulty with that. He's had some high turnover games. I think that Boston, they really get into the driving gaps well. I think that all of Smart, Tatum, uh, you know, Derek White, those guys are probably players you look at as for their position, they're just excellent, excellent positional defenders, help defenders, and they're going to be in the right spots, make the rotation. Then at that point, if you got to scramble, they can scramble, uh, make the X out, help the helper, all that stuff. So 
I just think that this series is two close games, and I think that Boston was the better executing team in both games, and I think that when you go up 2-0, you're in control of the series, and it very well could be 2-2 here in a few days, but I think that you know the mathematical odds are with them. They got to go on the road, but this is a Nets team that Kevin Durant's been playing crazy minutes. Kyrie Irving, since returning, has been playing crazy minutes. Patty Mills has kind of lost his stride since midseason. Seth Curry's dealing with the ankle. They're getting good stuff for the most part from Drummond and Claxton, but those guys probably aren't going to alter their fate, uh, you know, on the court. And then guys like Drogic and Kessler Edwards, they're going to pitch in, play their part. Uh, the one guy I didn't mention, I realize as I'm going through their rotation, is Bruce Brown has been excellent for them. I do think this would have been a tough series if they had Robert Williams for the Celtics because especially if him and Horford shared the court, just some of the lineup combinations they can do with pairing size across all their forward and big mm-hmm. spots would have given him some issues. I look back to the Celtics, or excuse me, the Bucks series last year in the second round, and I thought that sometimes Lopez and Giannis gave Bruce Brown some issues, but he's one of the more niche kind of role players, really interesting free agency situation coming up for him so that's kind of my all-encompassing thoughts on that series yeah uh there's a lot to talk about here so first I want to say I like that you gave the Al Horford shout because he's been possibly I don't know if this is a stretch but I feel like he might have been the best or at least one of the best players on either team in these past two games he's been really good defensively Kyrie said or no, Bruce Brown, I think it was before this the series, said the thing about we're going to attack Horford and Tice. It hasn't worked. Horford has more than held his own on switches. On offense, he's hitting timely shots. He's making the right pass. All of that, he's getting defense, or he's getting rebounds. Just doing all the Al Horford things you usually expect from him. And in a series where the stars are really struggling, well, I guess in the first game, Tatum and Kyrie both played well, but in this game specifically, the Stars were really struggling on both teams. Having that guy like Al Horford, I think, has really benefited the Celtics. I also like that you mentioned Bruce Brown because I feel like in a lot of ways, he's the third most important player on this Nets team behind Kevin Durant and Kyrie Irving. Just filling in the gaps. He got the Tatum assignment today for a lot of the game, which I think is a good adjustment. He's just... He feels a little Draymond-esque in the short role with his ability to find the the big man under the basket there. Obviously, he's not nearly as good as Draymond, but I feel like there's some similarities. Um, but getting to the stars, which I think is what will decide this series, really, and I guess specifically Kevin Durant, it feels like the his scoring game a big issue of it has been just how tired he is. Like you said, he's been needing to play 40-plus minutes consistently for a couple weeks now just to get the Nets in the position where they could be the seventh seed in the playoffs. He just looked exhausted today. Like, he started out the game good. I feel like for all the talk of how bad his game is, we're forgetting that he had 10 points in the first quarter on good efficiency. But as the game went on, the Celtics rough him up without the ball. They don't let him move. He plays so many minutes. He gets kind of beat up and worn down. And by the end of the game, he got a few good shots in the fourth quarter, but he just couldn't hit them. Like the only 
good shots. He was able to get all game. It felt like his legs had kind of left him. He couldn't really hit them, and that was it. So, yeah, he had, I think, 20 free throws today. And if anything, should have had more. Like, he deserved all 20 of those free throws. Granted, a few of them were at the end of the game when it was kind of already over. But I think that just goes to show how physical Boston is being with him. And I think they're, they're more than fine with giving him those free throws as long as it means he's shooting four for 17 or whatever it was from field goal. And one last thing I'd want to say is Kyrie Irving, he had a great game one, but I feel like it's not getting talked about today how he really was just not impactful at all. Like, you know, when the shot's not falling, whatever, there's not much you can do about that. But he just, like, the playmaking is not there. He looked like he was looking for his own shot every time he got the ball today. He was forcing it even when there were multiple guys on him. And I feel like if he's more of that playmaker, if the Nets offense as a whole becomes less ISO heavy and more movement-based, which I feel like was an adjustment they should have definitely been able to make coming into this game, but they didn't. If that's the case, I feel like they have a much better shot of winning the series. So on the Kevin Durant point, you're right. There was two shots that kind of stood out to me. One of them was a midi right inside the left elbow. And then another one was a pretty good look on a pull-up three. Now the pull-up three at least wasn't an easy shot, but for Kevin Durant, he's the type of player that whenever I watch him, if I'm rooting for him in whatever game and he gets a shot, I'm like, Oh, that's money. Or if I'm rooting against him in that matchup, I'm like, <laughs> Oh no, I'm just dreading him getting open at all. And then he's the type of player where, it almost feels like the defense, it doesn't matter what they do. But I just think that Boston's been physical enough. That's helped wear him down a bit. I think in this matchup, particularly, he's going to be relied upon to kind of defend a bit. And I think that's not really a possibility with how many minutes he's playing, his high usage role, just the way that attrition has kind of played a factor on his game. And the one thing with Durant, his minute load has always been high in his Brooklyn tenure. But this is the kind of the first kind of stretch of games where he's just playing nonstop minutes. Aside from the Milwaukee series last year, he was pretty he was pretty much able to kind of take his time, make sure the calf was healthy, make sure the Achilles was healthy, and that he was 100% for the playoffs. But this season, the play-in circumstance, the seeding circumstance, it had to be full throttle basically the last month. I mean, I remember the Sunday showcase game where he dismantled the Knicks and they barely won that game. And that's not to throw a shot at the Nets or the Knicks. That's just kind of the state of their season mm -hmm. with Harden forcing his way out. Simmons coming in, uh, unable to play for the time being, and then various role players being injured. Uh, as for the Boston Celtics, uh, I like that you gave Al Horford a shout. I remember earlier in the season, I think it was you, you said he's having a borderline like defensive player of the year season. And at first when I heard that, I was kind of like, oh, that's a little over the top. But I think that it's one of those teams where credit kind of is shared across the board. I think they have four, five, six guys who you could credibly make an all defense case for. And I think that when you're that dominant as a defense, they're not just a good defense. They're approaching historical like if they had a playoff run where mm -hmm. their defensive ratings like 103 or something outrageous like that 
I think that would be kind of eye-opening and kind of cement them in history, especially with them facing the Nets next round. They're probably going to face the Milwaukee Bucks, another good offensive team, and then we'll see what happens after that. But this is a team that essentially top to bottom, they're great defensively. They have perfect fitting pieces now. They have two good guards and Smart and Derek White who aren't necessarily traditional point guards, but they can dribble pass and the shot will come and go, but they will attempt threes, so you have to account for them. Obviously, the Tice trade with Houston at the deadline has ended up paying off because if you look at the back end of their rotation, they'd probably be working uh, you know, in a scenario where they're probably playing Neesmith, just downsizing, hoping he can bring anything. And that would obviously be that would be tough to kind of overcome. I think that looking at the Nets, they're just in a spot where they kind of have to rely on Kessler Edwards. And I know he barely played today. His minutes are going to fluctuate a bit. I think that if you gave Steve Nash some tooth serum, he would really prefer not to play him. I think he would have preferred that they retain Jeff Green or that Blake Griffin was able to give him something else this season as opposed to them needing another wing guy like Kessler Edwards because he's pretty much their only wing with Bruce Brown basically being a guard size big, Seth Curry just being a tiny kind of off-guard type, and then Patty Mills has kind of transitioned to being a pure shooting guard. So you're kind of lacking in both wings and then also ball handling behind Kyrie aside from Garan Dragic. And it's kind of a dynamic where – Kyrie wants to look for his own shot, and that's his best skill set. I've always kind of viewed him as a hybrid guard where it doesn't matter if he's the point guard or shooting guard. He can kind of operate in both roles, but he needs to play in his comfort zone, what comes natural to him. He's a guy who some games he'll take eight, nine, ten threes. Other games he's going to take two or three. Very rarely he's going to – or not very rarely. He's not going to get to the free throw line too much. So he's really a guy that he's going to get to his spots – you know, elbow extended, kind of take two dribbles inside the line, get to his pull-ups. He's going to have floaters with both hands, going to use the glass on his bank shots. And he's a guy that I think he's going to let the game come to him and he's going to take his kind of allocated shot diet. I don't think that he's a guy who's going to get X amount of threes up or X amount of free throw attempts. So that can kind of be difficult to overcome and balance when you play a game 40 minutes your shots not falling you go four or 13 it's whatever it happens but as you see with Durant he had an off night shooting the ball overall his kind of efficiency was at least manageable and that kind of kept Brooklyn afloat briefly in the second half uh, especially towards the end there really their only offense was him getting on the foul line towards the end of the fourth so uh, this is a really interesting series I don't think it's over but I think I'm kind of viewing the Nets is kind of a next year thing unless Ben Simmons just comes back and looks amazing. Yeah, I think the Ben Simmons point, I feel like that should be their biggest point of optimism right now because, yes, it's been a year since he's played. He obviously did not look great at the end while he was playing. But just in terms of what this team needs, they need someone that can reliably handle the ball. Ben Simmons can do that. They need someone who's looking to pass the ball more than get their own shot. And while I don't think Ben Simmons is some motion offense guy who's like always flowing within the offense, at least he'll be looking for his other teammates rather than his own shot. So I think that's important. And then they really need someone along with Bruce Brown to guard 
the two wings on the Celtics, um, Jason Tatum and Jalen Brown, because Kevin Durant right now is being asked to be the ball handler, main scorer, main playmaker, and one of their like one or two best players on defense while playing 43 minutes. And I love Kevin Durant as much as anyone. And I can tell you right now, he can't do that. I don't know who could do that. Like, Prime LeBron is one of the only players I can think of ever that could do that for a whole series. So I don't know if Ben Simmons will look good if he comes back, but I feel like that could be one thing that they should be hoping for. Because other than that, well, I mean, there are adjustments to be made outside of Ben Simmons. They're only down 2-0. They're going back to their home court. They definitely can win without him, but I feel like that's definitely something to look out for. And yeah, you said it. You said it well. Boston is favored now for sure. But it was two close games. The series definitely isn't over. Not even close. I think that it very well could be a thing where they just come out on fire game three, blow the doors off Boston, win a close game four or something like that. I'm not saying that that's my prediction, but I think that it's very plausible. It's 2-2 and we're heading into game five for like the game of the first round. Yeah, I know exactly what you mean. I'm praying this one goes to seven because I feel like we need it as basketball. I can't remember what was your pick. My pick was Boston and seven, and I don't feel I don't feel bad about that pick, even if Boston ends up winning in five or six, because I think both of these games were pretty much up for grabs. Yeah, I had Brooklyn in seven, but easily can go either. Yeah, way. I was so I close. To, I was so close to picking Brooklyn just with the Ben question mark and. Kind of, I didn't know if he was going to come back game three, four, five, six, and then how he would look, but he's definitely an upgrade. I think that they're probably going to shrink Kessler out of the rotation completely. I think that they're going to probably peel back on Patty a bit. Wouldn't surprise me if they played Drogic like 26, 28 minutes a game and they just kind of go all in on their guards. Yeah. Yeah. The only thing there is then, um, Guys like Jason Tatum, Jalen Brown can kind of bully their way to the basket, even Al Horford. But, yeah, maybe just going full offense and hoping they can survive on defense is the way to go. I think they'll test it out because their guards are their most competent players. Drogic, Curry, Kyrie, Mills. That's definitely where they have the most talent. So maybe they'll lean into that. you have any last thoughts on this series or should we go into the next one? No, I think you pretty much got it covered. Okay, so Milwaukee versus Chicago just finished their game two. And Chicago won that one, evening the series at 1-1, which is, I mean, it's pretty amazing. Like, Milwaukee does not look that hot right now because Chicago played pretty bad in that first game and could have won that one too. And imagine if we were looking at this, Chicago took both games on the road. Can I say something really quick? Yeah. Uh, Shams just said Chris Middleton has a sprained MCL. Oh, a sprained MCL? I've never even heard of that. Is that... That's just like a sprained knee, basically. So I don't know the severity. I haven't really been looking on Twitter. I just opened a tab while I was switching, and then I see that Chris Middleton sprained MCL. So I definitely think that that's something to watch if it's like a multi-week injury. I don't know about his health for this series or how it's impacted but he left the game in the fourth quarter wow that actually changes a lot because 
I mean, Chicago already looked like they have a sign of life here. And if Milwaukee's, in my opinion, second, but at worst, third best players out for the series, I, wow, that's a big thing. I don't know what that can mean. Do you think we should just talk about it, assuming that he's out for the rest of the series? Or No, I think we can kind of just give our impressions on the game. Even if Middleton was out, I would assume the Bucks would win, but... I think that the Bulls have put up a much better fight than a lot of people gave them credit for. I went with Milwaukee in five for this series, and Same. I thought that it would be like four blowouts and one close win. So maybe <laughs> this is the close win. However, they very easily could have won game one. Uh, Alex Caruso, just in the clips that I've been watching, I posted some of them on the timeline in recent days, but he's been he's been defending with his hair on fire. He's been incredible. It's making me think like, what this team could have been with the healthy Lonzo ball with Patrick Williams, not missing three quarters of the season. And Billy Donovan's actually doing something that I wish more coaches would do. This is a hated strategy on Twitter, especially during the regular season, but he is basically only playing his good players uh, for the most <laughs> part. I'm a pretty big fan of Javante green and, you know, Io's going to be something down the line. He played a huge role for them in the regular season. And then I'm kind of a Kobe White apologist, but just looking at their starters, DeRozan, 44 minutes, Pat Will, 32 minutes, Vooch, 36 minutes, Levine, 43 minutes, Caruso, 38 minutes. So he's basically leaning fully into those guys. And I think that when you're a team like Chicago, yeah, you're not going to be as good as Giannis at the top end. However, just credibly speaking, your starting lineup can kind of, I'm not going to say they're going to put up a fight or win the minutes or anything like that, but those are the guys you want to go down with. I think that when Caruso has been on the court, it's made some of the fit with Vucevic uh, much more like beneficial for the defense. I think he's a guy that he's going to be good positioning, going to be a good rebounder, pretty good, not fouling. And I think that, you know, when you're in a drop, that's, something that you're going to need to do just be technically sound and Caruso he's so good whether he's going over and through a screen or switching up he can really do anything I think he's a pretty credible rebounder for the most part I didn't really show up on the stat sheet tonight but for example late offensive foul he drew on Giannis he didn't get the rebound but he was right there contested board situation and he caught a bow to the face so Billy Donovan's leaning on his kind of quote-unquote guys in this series and that's something that I think is a good decision. Um, as for the Bucks, I am kind of worried about a couple things with them. First and foremost, Giannis is going to shoot a ton of free throws, but I think it is something to watch that he probably is only going to hit about 60% of them in the playoffs. And that's a pretty good number on a points per possession rate. That's basically 1.2 points of possession. But for a free throw, that's not great, and I think that some teams are willing to take that chance, especially if it means you're fouling him underneath the rim on the layup attempt, on a putback attempt, on a dunk attempt, on a rim roll. If you're turning a shot that he makes 75% of the time, so you know ballpark at 1.5 points per possession into something that's 1.2 points per possession, that's going to shave off some of the margins. Uh, in their playoff offense, they're so reliant on Chris Middleton and Drew Holiday hitting pull-up jumpers, and that's something that's going to fluctuate, come and go. So Milwaukee's a team that I think when you get a chance to steal the game from them, you have to do it. Uh, last year, that was probably game five for Brooklyn that they won 
when Harden was basically walking around out there, they stole that game. And they're a team that's just going to, they're going to work the glass. They're going to get pretty good threes up. Giannis is a really good drive and kick player. Uh, Middleton and Holiday, adequate playmakers. Middleton's a really good pick and roll scorer. But this team is just, I don't know. I, I think they're the East favorites. I don't really have too much like kind of negative to say about them. I'm going to watch Middleton's health. I am kind of concerned with some of their bench guys just because Bobby Portis left today's game. Grayson Allen, we'll see if he can be a guy who can play 28, 30 minutes a game. He's definitely better than Bryn Forbes was. But is he truly a guy that you can close games with? We'll see. And they're missing the P.J. Tucker element this year. So I would say they're in a good spot, East Faves. But I think that if you're Boston, if you're Philadelphia, and even if you're Miami and Brooklyn, you should be telling yourself, we got a chance, we can beat them, we're right there. Yeah, I think you pretty much said everything. I only have a couple things to add. One, on the point you said about Billy Donovan playing his best players, I was really surprised to see Tristan Thompson and Jamichael Green, or Javante Green, both in the game with six minutes left. That was very surprising to me. But yeah, generally, I think he is leaning on his top guys, and I think it's smart. Um, I kind of wish Lonzo Ball was playing, because... You see how competitive they are right now without him. It makes you think, what what could they have been? But, yeah. Uh, DeMar had a great game today, which I'm just really happy about. I'm happy for him because he was horrible in game one, and I didn't want it to take away from his season. Yeah, like, obviously, he's known for his whole career not being a great playoff player. He had that bad game one after this amazing season he's had. But today he came out, had a 40-piece, kind of closed the game with that drive at the end to make it a two-possession game. Just really happy for him. That was a wild possession. That could have really swung the game. I think it was like 30 seconds left maybe, give or take. I can't remember. Yeah, they missed like a couple shots, got the offensive rebound, and then he closed it with the layup. Um, I feel like Vucevic got a lot of hate in game one, but... And really throughout the whole season, but it's just like he feels like so integral to this team. I don't think they really function without him. He's not a great defender, but like you said, he's just technically sound. So I feel like it's he's just kind of good enough when you have someone like Caruso there, guys like that, Patrick Williams. And then on offense, I feel like his playmaking, decision-making, spacing, it really unlocks what this team can be on offense. I don't know how much it's going to matter in the end because Chicago should lose this series with or without Chris Middleton, but maybe it's a fun thing to to keep track on if they can if they can make it more competitive than expected. I don't know. And then as far as Milwaukee goes, I never had them as the favorites in the East this year, but obviously they can make it to the finals and win. I've gone finals. back and forth with them and uh, Brooklyn and Philadelphia. I kind of have like a love triangle with those three teams. <laughs> yeah. I think for me, I'd add Boston and Miami and say all five right now. Well, I guess Brooklyn less so because they're down 2-0. But... Yeah, just mathematically speaking, they're kind of yeah from the outside in. Yeah, but in terms of how good they are, I'd say all five I'll have about the same chance of getting it out of the East. So, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee doesn't look great, but maybe it's one of those things where they just – 
you know, they're the champions last year. They need to kind of get it together. Like, it's a slow start in the playoffs, but they'll pick up the pieces. And, yeah, I mean, Milwaukee should win this series. We'll see if they do. I'd imagine they do. It would be a pretty amazing upset if Chicago pulls it out. And, yeah, I don't have anything else to say on this. Do you? Uh, I'll just add a tweet I came across just now. So, Dr. Evan Jeffries, pretty good follow that I usually just look into for their injury analysis. His ad is uh, at Game Injury Doc on Twitter. He usually does a lot of the prominent NBA injuries, oftentimes a video, most of the time providing injury insight. But he said MRI will confirm severity. He's not reporting. This is just kind of the logistics of diagnosing the injury but he said grade two for the mcl is roughly one to two or grade one excuse me is roughly one to two weeks grade two is three to six weeks and then grade three would end his season uh that's basically a full tear so the way i see it is grade one is it going to impact the rest of this playoff series grade two is it going to impact rounds two in the conference finals and grade three is it going to end his season yeah so I mean, I hope for everyone involved. Yeah, I hope he's healthy. It is kind of interesting how quickly some of these things could change because after game one of Phoenix and New Orleans, I picked that series to go five, and I was wondering to myself, um, like, did I misjudge that? Should I have just picked a clean sweep for Phoenix? But the Pelicans win game two. They might have even won it if Booker closed healthy. But suddenly Booker has the hammy injury. Now there's a window of opportunity for the Pelicans, and it's just so crazy how one injury can shift a playoff series. I mean, obviously, when a team loses one of their best players, they're going to be worse off. But I feel like sometimes these things just happen at literally the worst possible moment. Like Chris Middleton isn't a guy that you look at and says, oh, they're not going to make it through a playoff run. And here we are. Yeah. Yeah, it's always a sad thing. I feel like injuries have been such a big part of the NBA the last couple of years. But – as sad as it is, that is the perfect segue to the next series we were going to talk about, which is, as you just mentioned, Phoenix versus New Orleans, with the big news being that Devin Booker hurt his hamstring yesterday and the Pelicans won that game two to make it a 1-1 series. Um, I mean, so I guess Booker is expected to come back around game five at the earliest, but maybe he'll miss the whole series. I don't know. I think... Phoenix should close this out regardless. And then hopefully he comes back and he's healthy round two and it's no issue. But what do you think? Do you think New Orleans could realistically win this one? I don't know what's a thing, to be honest. I've thinking I've been thinking to myself, like home court, playoff game, no Devin Booker. Maybe the Pelicans should be favored for their home games, but at the same time, I don't really see a scenario where Phoenix is just drawing blank and losing a playoff series. Just some concerns I have. I will say this is probably the playoff series I need to do the most catching up on. I haven't done uh, too much. I haven't seen game two yet in full. So just want to add that as a disclaimer. But I have concerns with Chris Paul. Um, tremendous player. All NBA caliber guard. First ballot Hall of Famer. One of my favorite players ever. I don't think he's a guy who can take 20 shots in a game really anymore unless the team is just sitting back in a drop, letting him get to his pull-up jumper, or they're showing hard on the ball. Then he hits the roller in a short roll, 
and then they just get discombobulated, and then he's starting to kind of pick apart a defense. That is a concern. Uh, however, I think that Mikhail Bridges and Cameron Johnson have both been adequate this season, picking up some of the slack. DeAndre Ayton has actually been pretty steady regardless of who's in the lineup. So I think that you can just convince yourself that you know the four or five best players on the team for the Suns, they're going to bring it still regardless. I don't think that any of these guys are quote-unquote dependents on another player. And I'll also add in, it's been an interesting year. Not the most efficient season for Cameron Payne. Dealt with some injuries, but he's one of the better drivers, at least among backup point guards. So that'll be something to watch. I think that the Pelicans aren't necessarily a fast team. I view McCollum as a quick player, but not necessarily a guy who's going to contain ball on the perimeter. A unique starting lineup where they're starting double big. I don't have an issue with that, but some teams will be able to capitalize and take advantage of that they're playing trey murphy a ton now and larry nance glad to see him healthy so they're kind of they're kind of a team that's starting big and then i think they're downsizing later as the game goes on and i've really been shocked by how little Devonte graham has been playing in recent weeks i think that they've just understood and realized that the fit with mccollum isn't ideal and you already have so much playmaking on the floor with Brennan Ingram, C.J. McCollum, even Herb Jones and Valanciunas are kind of adequate ball movers for their position, uh, whether you know it's just making the extra pass for Herb or Valanciunas initiating the handoff. So I think they think they have enough playmaking um, that they don't need to play Graham. But interesting kind of outlook for the Pelicans because we're assuming Zion doesn't come back. They have this ray of light, ray of sunshine that they could possibly win this series, but just looking at it reasonably, I think this is one of those things where they probably split these home games in New Orleans, and then I think Phoenix closes it out in six. That's my early thought. I need to watch game two. I'll probably tweet about it later this morning or later tonight, uh, more in depth. But I think that my early impression on this series is this injury is going to hurt the Suns, especially if it carries into later rounds. But I think that they're going to take care of business regardless. And I think it's been a great year for the Pelicans. But I know they're not the 1-12 team that started the season. They're probably a 500 or you know, decent amount better. I know their record with Ingram and McCollum is really good, actually. But at the same time, they were a playing team for a reason. Some of that out of their control. But this is a matchup that I think Phoenix should ultimately win. Yeah, I just have some small notes on this. You mentioned how they're going double big, which actually really surprised me. I thought after game one, they'd move to playing Larry Nance more minutes, probably putting Trey Murphy into the starting lineup, and they didn't, and I thought it would be a big issue. But yesterday, Jackson Hayes had a stretch where he actually looked kind of unstoppable, and it was a big reason why they won that game. So. Good job on Coach Willie Green. He obviously knows a lot better than me, and it showed yesterday. And yeah, just like you said, this is a very talented Pelicans team. Brandon Ingram and CJ McCollum can give them a chance offensively against anyone. And then they're surrounded by great shooters like Trey Murphy. They have some defense with Alvarado, Herb Jones, Larry Nance, etc. But yeah, I mean... The Suns were looking like one of the best regular season teams ever for a reason. And they're not the same without Devin Booker, but it would be a big disappointment if they lost this, unless like another player got injured too. So 
I, I agree with you. I think they should be taking this one in six, but you never know. I know some Suns fans are, are kind of worrying a little bit. I think it makes sense to worry, but yeah, I, I would still project them to win this one. you have any last thoughts on this one or should we move on? Yeah, I kind of appreciate Willie Green sticking with that big lineup. I think sometimes coaches are either too slow to adjust or too quick to adjust. I think that sometimes it's just kind of a one-game thing, and that lineup's been good for them over the past six to eight weeks. So I think that it's good they stuck with it. We'll see how the rest of the series goes. Like I said, Murphy's playing more. Nance Jr.'s healthy. Maybe they eventually go down that road, but... Uh, when you were just discussing Alvarado and Herb Jones and Murphy, I was just thinking, like, that's a crazy good rookie class for, you know, through the lens of them obviously not having that star player, but they have a guy who's probably an all-D candidate for the next five to seven years. They have mm-hmm. Trey Murphy, who's a great 3 and D kind of outlook role player, and then they have Jose Alvarado, who's kind of cut from that Jordan McLaughlin, Tyus Jones, Trey Jones kind of arc of, backup point guards who are incredible defenders. I think there are some similarities with uh, Patrick Beverly, especially I think that he's more aggressive and assertive than a young Tyus was. I think that Beverly is in tune and capable of making some of the straight line drives. So there's some similarities there, but good rookie class without having that kind of franchise altering talent. So kudos to them. Yeah, it actually is really amazing young talent. And when Zion comes back, especially if he can be just like good enough on defense. I feel like this is a team that we should be looking at next year as a true contender that can beat anyone. And one last thing, I actually, I think Willie Green in general has done a great job, not just with his double big lineup, which again, he deserves credit for sticking with it. Like you said, I feel like he's one of the new coaches that wasn't talked about this year. Guys like Ime do. Ime Udoka got a lot more credit, which he deserves as well. He's been fantastic. But Willie Green has just been, I mean, he's been doing a great job with this Pelicans team for a few weeks now to get them in this situation. And yeah, I'm happy he looks like he's great at what he does. And I think this Pelicans team can be very scary next year. So on to the next series one that I was so excited for coming in and it hasn't, well, game one didn't disappoint. Game two was a little sad, but Memphis versus Minnesota is tied 1-1. I think both of these teams look very even, even though Memphis kind of blew them out yesterday. Minnesota stole that road game and now they're taking it back home with an even series. What is your outlook on this one? I'd probably keep it. Well, my pre-series prediction was which was memphis and six after game one i was thinking to myself like because i'm a timberwolves fan i was thinking to myself like oh my goodness they have a chance they're gonna steal game two and they're gonna win one of them at home and it's gonna be three one and that's it (laughs) but obviously better thoughts prevailed and i think that they're gonna get killed on the boards the biggest kind of litmus test for the timberwolves is Cat has to avoid foul trouble. They're probably going to lose every game he gets in foul trouble. It's ironic they won the play-in with him fouling out midway through the fourth quarter because uh, that was one of the rare instances where they're able to overcome him sitting for that extended period. And Nas Reed, he's one of my favorite kind of backup bigs, backup centers in the league. I think that he's a guy teams should consider 
throwing some money at to see if he could be a cheap starter for the next few years. But the bench unit gets killed on the boards. Some of that is how much hedging and showing on the ball Minnesota does just naturally when you bring the big that far up beyond the level of the pick up towards the ball handler. They're away from the rim. They can't rebound. That asks a lot of Jaden McDaniels, Malik Beasley, et cetera, Patrick Beverly. But the Memphis Grizzlies are also the best offensive rebounding team in the league. I'm going to be curious if they continue the kind of benching of Steven Adams. I wonder how many minutes he'll get moving forward. He didn't play in the second half unless I'm misremembering it in game two. I think he only played a few minutes in game one. I'll have to double check that, but basically got benched. He doesn't seem like he's going to ruffle any feathers about it. I think that there's so many different ways the Grizzlies can go. Well, let me rephrase that. They like going with Clark and Jaron Jackson Jr. Uh, XTS gave him some good minutes, kind of out of the blue. He's a guy that Taylor Jenkins has trusted previously, like last year in the play-in, but he kind of fell out of favor this year. I just think it's one of those things where Memphis has really good players kind of top to bottom, so it's a situation where one or two good players isn't going to play, especially with Kyle Anderson basically being a four, Zaire Williams being deserving of minutes as a young player. And then they have so many good young wings like Desmond Bain, Dylan Brooks, who are going to play 30-plus minutes a night or whatever it ends up being. So uh, they're going to lean a lot on Brennan Clark, one of the best floater bigs in the league, and Jaron Jackson Jr., all-defense candidate, DPOY candidate. Again, a player like Carl Anthony Towns who has to stay out of foul trouble. That was a huge issue game one. And we'll see how this series plays out. I'm curious to see how Steven Adams' minutes look moving forward. And then for the Timberwolves, we'll see what happens with Jared Vanderbilt. I do think that just given how teams defend the Timberwolves when Vanderbilt's in, I wonder if they should just move forward with Jaden McDaniels taking a lot of those mm-hmm. just playing 32 34 minutes because I think the trade-off defensively is minimal I actually think McDaniels will be a better defensive player than Vanderbilt you are giving up a ton on the glass especially on the offensive glass but just his energy his second jump his ability to get putbacks and second chance points like that but teams don't respect cat or excuse me teams don't respect Vanderbilt offensively and they aren't going to guard McDaniels either, but at least you hope that he can hit a three-pointer or two, make them reconsider, make them at least rotate to that. And, yeah, I mean, Minnesota, you always wonder what they're going to do with the back of their bench because aside from really lately, aside from McDaniels and Prince, there have been games where Noel hasn't played, where J-Mac hasn't played or has barely played. And also Malik Beasley, he's always going to get his minutes. He's kind of that guy who's going to get his three-point attempts up and, he only got two in game two. I think that it's paramount for the Timberwolves that D'Lo and Beasley have good games because D'Lo is really important to what the Timberwolves do, and he's been pretty much a non-factor in the first two games. I think that there are times where he's going to be more relied upon than Anthony Edwards. Now, Anthony Edwards is the premium top-end silver bullet talent. He's the, he's the guy who's... When he's cooking, you just the defense has nothing for him. When he's able to get in these little spurts in six to eight minutes of a quarter, he's able to rattle off 10, 12, 14 points. He has the pull-up jumper. He can get to the rim whenever. It's incredible. But um, just in terms of creating his own shot, D'Lo is more than capable, tremendous passer. But it really hasn't been there for the two, first two games of the series. And that was following a good regular season against the Grizzlies. So we'll see how that goes. There is some worry with, 
D'Lo that maybe due to his athletic limitations in this matchup against a very athletic team, like I mentioned, Dylan Brooks is athletic, John Morant's athletic, Jaron Jackson Jr., quick twitch guy who can play four or five. Um, tricky matchup for D'Lo, but we'll see if he can kind of overcome the sluggish start and see where Minnesota is in two games after these home um, home games. Yeah, I think this is one of those series where Memphis having so many good players really helps them because, like you said, with Steven Adams, he's getting blown by. He's not quick enough to get, to guard Cat on the perimeter. No problem. We have Xavier Tillman, Brandon Clark, Jaron Jackson as a helper, even Kyle Anderson. They have the guys to put on him where when they have someone else helping, they can kind of at least attempt to neutralize Cat. Um, I think... This is going to be a big series for Jaden McDaniels, like you said. He really showed out in the first game. And if guys like him, Malik Beasley, etc., are kind of giving you the most that they can do as role players, Minnesota looks a lot better. I agree with you that I expect D'Angelo Russell to kind of wake up. I'm feeling a big game three from him tomorrow. I hope so. Yeah, he's just kind of been like the stabilizing force for them all season. Just like when the game gets chaotic or they're getting flustered, they kind of go to him to kind of cool it down, I guess. I don't know exactly what. No, that's a good way to put it. I think that he catches a lot of flack on Twitter because he probably is slightly overpaid. Like if you just weigh dollar for production versus what player X gets, then what guys on rookie extensions get, he might be a little bit overpaid, but he is really important to this team. As you mentioned, he kind of struggled so far. Game one, I actually didn't mind it as much. I didn't notice until after the fact that he really didn't leave an imprint on the game. I thought that had a lot to do with just playing through Cat a ton. Ant had it going. They were playing fast, playing with tempo. But game two, I think that was really felt, especially with Cat being in foul trouble. With If Cat gets in foul trouble, it has to be a scenario where either of D'Lo or Anthony Edwards, they have to go on one of those six to eight point bursts and just kind of tie everything together. Yeah. And I think Cat's defense is really, I think a couple of things will kind of be the key points of this series. One is how consistent can they get Cat, Anthony Edwards and D'Lo to have good games on offense because if you get at least two of those three having a good game on offense every night, you always have a chance to win. And if all three of them are having a good game, you should be expected to win, really. And I think two is how good Cat will be, how much effort he'll be showing on defense, especially blitzing that screen. And then how good will guys like Jaden McDaniels, Jared Vanderbilt be on the back line in game one? I think Cat actually did a pretty good job just forcing Jaw to get uncomfortable going out the basket. And then those guys like Jaden McDaniels, et cetera, did a good job getting his back and coming from at the rim. And then game two, that wasn't the case. It looked a lot worse. And they they just went down big and it was kind of over. It spiraled out of control. So I think those two things are really what Minnesota needs to be focused on. And yeah, if they can get good offensive performances from the big three, and if Cat can be respectable blitzing the screens, I think Minnesota can really take the series. I had Memphis in seven before the series, and I still have Memphis in seven. 
but I do think Minnesota definitely has a chance and yeah, they just need to be, they don't even need to be consistent. They just need to show they need their good players to have good games just three more times. Really? That's it. I like, I like how you said that, to be honest, because I had a tweet a while ago where I was like, Anthony Edwards is going to have a playoff game where he wins at Timberwolves the game, and we could say that's game one. And then I said he's going to have a playoff game where he loses them a playoff game. And he probably will have a game where he goes something atrocious, like 5 of 16. I don't think that this is going to be a even matchup where all six or seven games or whatever it ends up being are going to be close. I think that if I was a betting man, which I don't have a good kind of track record betting, uh, oddly enough, but I think that each team blows each other out one more time and then the series will be decided by who wins the close games other than that because just kind of the breakneck way that Memphis plays and then how much they get on the offensive glass and just kind of the sheer force they have on defense. They're really good playing off stops. I actually think Kyle Anderson and Brandon Clark did a pretty good job when they've been defending Cat. And that just helps Jaron Jackson, you know, be a help defender. Obviously, he can guard pretty much anyone one-on-one -on -one if need be. But given his tendency to foul, given how good he is in help rotation, you definitely want him away from the basketball. But just that paired with their ability to play off spots or off off spots, off stops, they can really, uh, you know, run it down your throat, get easy transition offense. And you look at the scoreboard yesterday night when – Cat got into foul trouble. I think it was 45-41, and 10 minutes of game time later, it was a 25-point game. So that is something that you have to be aware of if you're the Timberwolves. On the flip side, they're kind of a team that if they get their mojo, they can be they can run hot or cold, but if they're confident, comfortable, and feeling themselves, they are kind of a – they're honestly like a caricature of themselves. They're like a meme of their own <laughs> behavior because – when things are you know going well, they're going to let you know about it. They're going to play with exuberance, passion. And I think that it's just much easier to kind of finagle the three stars that way. And it's more, I don't know. I just always think the dynamic with the team is interesting because they have three players who basically do everything for them. And then they have a ton of role players who basically do everything for them defensively, if that makes yeah. sense. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Elo's made strides. Uh, Ants made strides, and I think Cat he gives good effort. He's fine hedging. The thing with Cat is he he fouls so much, and he's so unaware of what's a foul, especially on the offensive end. Mm -hmm. and he views himself um, kind of like with a victim mindset in this regard. And I don't think that he has a good whistle or whatever. But part of it is he plays out of control, and he plays like he's trying to impose his kind of force and strength onto the opponent when. It just looks so obvious that you're trying to force yourself on them, you know, back them down. And I think that's why he's had so much more success as a driver playing from a face-up position from the perimeter is because if he's backing someone down in the post, he's not as good playing against double teams. He's going to offensive foul a ton. He always does flashy passes, which just grinds my gears because he's a good passer. He has, uh, you know, that cachet, that gravity, but he's not Jokic. He can't play through double teams like Joel Embiid, and that's okay. But he just needs to kind of stick to the skill set, play off the drive. He's a top two shooting big man ever. Oddly enough, Jaron Jackson Jr. is probably up there himself. 
at least if he can kind of regain previous form. This year has been kind of funky, but this is a fun series. I think that it wouldn't shock me if we just come back in two days or three or four days, whatever it ends up being. I haven't checked beyond game three, but it wouldn't shock me if either of these teams were ahead 3-1 or if it was 2-2. Now, I would lean Memphis, but I do think that this, just given how they match up, how they play, how they stack up, I think it's an even match series, and I think it goes six or seven games. Yeah, I think that about captures it all. I love this series. I'm very happy it happened. I was I was practically begging for this to be the result of the play-in. And yeah, I think it's really fun and it hasn't disappointed so far. I think we kind of got through the four most important first round series. So for the next four, because we're we've been taking a long time, which is great. But sorry, guessing, I kind of ramble a lot. No, no, I'm fine with it. But I'm guessing you have somewhere to go or something to do. So um, yeah, let's just for these next four, I guess we'll kind of like not speed run, but just kind of like bullet points. So Dallas versus Utah, I guess this one actually deserves a little more attention in my opinion. You have, it's tied 1-1. Luka Doncic is still out. So it's actually pretty incredible that it's tied 1-1. Um, Utah has not looked good in my opinion, like at all. I, I don't know what you think about this, but thing with Utah is there's so many different ways you can look at it because they're a road team in a 4-5 series and they took the first road game so they should be ecstatic but there's just that doom and gloom in the background that Dallas might be getting a top three or whatever you want to put Luka in your player rankings he's coming back I assume game four which makes game three a must win for the Utah Jazz I actually think that uh, my original pick Utah in six I'm a little worried about that because it seems like Luca is going to play relatively soon. He's already been upgraded to questionable. So you're thinking he's playing half of the series at this point. And Utah did not look like a team that was ready to withstand a playoff duel in game two. Just with their ball containment is so poor. Donovan Mitchell, even for a star player, I understand that you're not going to be able to be a good you know, impact defender for a full 38, 40, 42 minutes, however many you play in a playoff game. But he gets opened up every time. His angles are so poor. Sometimes I question his effort. I think that there were various points in the game when Gobert, he's helping so much off of Kleber and DFS, and I think that was to the game plan. Um, just upon watching game two, I think that he was executing what everyone agreed upon was the way to go. So I don't really blame him too much for that. But there were points in the game where I was thinking, is Gobert helping so much to prove a point that like his teammates are asked defensively? <laughs> and then on the other end, uh, four or five times they tried to lob to Gobert. A lot of the passes were not quite accurate. That's actually an issue, I think, with Mitchell. Maybe I'm nitpicking a bit. I think Conley's kind of got the lobs down pat with Gobert, but he's just looking like a shell of himself. He basically did nothing the other day in game two. And it's to the point where they're not getting these easy rim rolls with Gobert. They're not containing ball on the perimeter. So that's like two of the kind of like what makes Utah Utah is they're a great defensive team, at least up until last year's playoffs. And I don't even know what to make of this regular season for them, but it's continued into the playoffs. Late game offense is a question mark. 
you look at the personnel top to bottom, a team with Donovan Mitchell and Mike Conley, Jordan Clarkson, Bogdanovich, uh, probably should close out a team of just Jalen Brunson, Spencer Dinwiddie. Then you got guys, great role players, don't get me wrong, like DFS, Maxi Kleber, Dwight Powell. But it doesn't quite stack up the same to me, and yet here is Dallas playing connected. They're dribble driving them to death, driving kick. Jalen Brunson is getting his back into the defenders, hitting his kind of spin jumper, hitting his floaters, hitting his paint pull pull-ups. And it's one-to-one. Dallas might be getting the best player in the series back. If he's anywhere close to health, he, I lean Dallas. My original pick, Utah in six, is kind of on thin ice. I think if Utah wins game three, I kind of like their odds even if Luka comes back game four. However, if it's a scenario where they barely pull out game three and you can just tell that all of these issues continue to seep through for Utah, then it might be something where Utah, or Utah, where Luka comes back and they win three straight games. So I'm kind of 50-50 on this series, to be honest. I'm, I'm questioning my own prediction at this point. Yeah, I predicted uh, Dallas in seven. I feel like... I'd say that's looking pretty good, especially with game seven being their home court, Luka looking to come back. Even if they go down 2-1, they can do it. Yeah, they definitely can. It's just... Like, I never want to rule out Utah because they have so much talent. I'm a big fan of Donovan Mitchell. I'm a, I think Conley will turn it around. It's like, I always feel like, no, they're about to have another good performance to, like, change the momentum. But at the same time, this looks like a broken team, especially on defense. It's like, I don't know what happened to Donovan Mitchell. He was, if I remember correctly, he was supposed to be, like, a defensive stopper when he was coming in the league, when he was getting drafted. And his offense has been just way better than anyone could have expected. I think it's just that his offense exploded so much. And just given the construction of Utah's roster with, they've always had kind of low usage guards around him with Rubio, Conley, Joe Ingles, aside from Jordy Clarkson, really, where he's had to carry so much of the load that he basically said, forget defense. And I think that it's just habitually, it's kind of seeped into his game. Yeah, yeah, I definitely see that. And I hope he can turn that around because uh, it's kind of sad to watch him get beat off the dribble pretty much every play down. And then someone like Bogdanovich is not quick enough to be able to kind of check both shooters in the corner to allow Rudy Gobert to rotate to the basket. So, I mean, Rudy has to rotate. He doesn't have a choice because if not, it's just an easy layup. And then... But when he does, it's just an open three. I don't I don't know how they fix that problem, really. That's the only thing. So, I mean, I think Danuel House should be playing more. He's definitely a good defender, but... I think they should... This is kind of a hot take. I think they should consider bringing Conley off the bench and either... I, I was kind of spitballing what to do because I was thinking if Trent Forrest were actually healthy, he should play 10 minutes. But... He's not healthy, and I don't even know if that was really an option. Uh, Daniel House has been so good for them since he came over. I think he he was with Houston in the beginning of the year. Then he went to New York, if I'm not mistaken. But he's playing really well with them, which makes sense because he played a similar role with Houston uh, years prior. But I don't know. Conley is just – he to me, he looks like a guy who's a really good role player. He's a good ball handler, good decision maker, good passer, good pull-up shooter, but – 
I think that he's just at the point where injuries and attrition and his size have done him no favors. And Dallas has a sneaky kind of athletic and big like wing and guard rotation yeah. aside from Brunson. You have Dinwiddie who's like 6'5", 6'6", DFS. Kleber plays a ton, whether it's the four or five. Um, they're athletic. Dwight Powell's an athletic center. So it's really it's difficult for Conley given his age. He really at this point he really only has the floater, it seems. Yeah, uh, I would be hesitant for that. Usually, like I'm a big Conley fan, but honestly, I think it does make sense replace him with House in the starting lineup, and then kind of stagger it so that you get Conley and Gobert lineups, and then you can have maybe like Mitchell five out lineups or just where he's like the main ball handler. Because I think Conley does have great chemistry with Gobert. He's one of the only guys that can consistently. Yeah, I thought, I thought Conley and Ingles always had good chemistry yeah, with Ingles. Gobert. And it just seems like the dynamic with Mitchell is gradually getting worse. And I feel like I feel like they respect each other, but I think they both have like issues brewing underneath. And I think that I think a bad loss or a playoff elimination is going to shatter this core. And I think that they're going to. I think if they don't make the Western Conference Finals. They're probably going to fire Quinn Snyder. They're probably going to trade. Um, they're going to see if Donovan Mitchell wants to stay. And if he does, I think they trade Gobert. And if he doesn't, I don't know what they're going to do because it would be cool to build around Gobert just as like being a fun team, just getting behind the defense, ranking like second in defense and being like 26 in offense, winning 43 <laughs> games, winning the play-in. That would be kind of cool, but um, I don't know. That's a different conversation. We're getting ahead of ourselves when I bring that up, but I just worry about the team. I think that I think they just got to play their game because they're better than this version of the Mavericks. By but, if, but if Luca comes back the way they're playing, they finally figured out the defense. I know it's kind of slid a bit recently, but Luca driving kicks team to death. Jalen Brunson this year versus last year in the playoffs is night and day. Spencer Dinwiddie has been tremendous with them. Really good player off the bounce. So this is kind of their opportunity. And if you're Utah, you have to kind of act now because looking ahead, second round, you're either facing the Phoenix Suns. If you win this series, you're facing the Phoenix Suns with or without Devin Booker, or you're facing the New Orleans Pelicans. So this is like, I don't want to hear any excuses. Last year, I understand that Mitchell had the ankle. Conley had the hamstring. I still think they should have pulled the series out against the Clippers without Kawhi. I know that yeah. two, the two heads of their three-headed snake were injured, but I think that that's a trade-off you make every day. And just for them to get dismantled, uh, drove and kicked to death by the Clippers as a shell of themselves was just, wow. Anyways, uh, sorry to ramble on for so long. <laughs> no, don't apologize. That's why you're here. But, yeah, I mean, I don't think there's much more to be said here. It's just we'll see. I always feel like Utah can turn it up and, like, hit that next gear where they're clicking. But I can also always see where it just collapses. So that's that, I guess. <laughs> we'll just have to see what happens. Um, and then these last three series, I feel like we kind of know the outcome. So Golden State versus Denver, I feel like there's a few key points here to me when I look at this. One, the Golden State lineup with the Splash Bros, Jordan Poole, Wiggins, and Green is annihilating Denver, like killing them. Two, 
no one should have expected Denver to win this. They don't have the personnel. There's like one positive defender on this team, Aaron Gordon, and he's not playing well. Um, yeah. Like, I think people are being unfair to Jokic, but at the same time, the people acting like Jokic was going to, like he figured, like I think Jokic is a decent defender in the regular season, but it's obvious that he has limitations and those are being exploited to the fullest extent by the Warriors. They're up 2-0. I don't see this going any more than six at the very most. I could see Golden State sweeping this really, but yeah. I mean, it's pretty cut and dry to me. What do you think? Yeah, I don't have too much to add. I think, I mean, Jokic is doing what what's asked of him. They're going to play at the level of screens. You have to defend Curry aggressively. And Curry's probably going to get by him. And then when it's Jeff Green and Aaron Gordon really as the only guys that can make an imprint and impact defensively behind Jokic, it's going to be a problem because – I don't know. I never really looked at guys like Monty Morris and Will Barton as bad defenders per se, but yeah, they're like, like okay, but they're yeah, not but they're like receivers. they're all Denver has basically because beyond that, it's the rookie Bones Highland who really impressive. He's been in the rotation now for multiple weeks, playing really well, mm-hmm. much better than Faku. Um, Austin Rivers, he's quick. He can defend point guards, but again, uh, these aren't exactly stoppers and then like Bryn Forbes are you kidding me DeMarcus Cousins <laughs> who's basically the bench units like analog for Jokic he's not there to defend clearly so again you basically said everything that I could just reiterate or I don't need to reiterate I should say I think that this is a five game series that's what I picked and I'm honestly wondering if it's just going to be a clean sweep but I want to give you know hope for Denver to win a home game we'll see yeah, it's sad that this is how it is because Denver's injured, but next year they should come back as real contenders. Probably some personnel changes to make that defense off the bench better, but yeah, I think that's just what it is. Miami, Atlanta, Jimmy Butler's looked incredible. Trey Young has not, but that's also because the Miami defense has looked out of this world. Like, I think it's... When I look at this Miami defense, I feel like it has potential to be on par with the Celtics defense for how for best defense in the league. And yeah, I agree. A lot of people think- were talking up the Raptors recently. And I think that just looking at it like bird's eye view or whatever, Miami is much better top to bottom defensively. Yeah. They've flipped uh, Robinson for Struess in the starting lineup. Even their backup big, Deadman, he's going to be solid. And Caleb Martin, he can guard two to four pretty good. And that's before we even get into guys like Lowry, who probably isn't an all-D guy anymore. Still major positive, clear good defender, going to draw a ton of charges. He's probably going to force a technical or two to get called on the other team in a game. Um, Jimmy Butler and P.J. Tucker, two tremendous forward wing defenders. And then Bam Adebayo. Um, what more needs to be said? He can switch, protect the rim a bit. I think that it's impressive just how much he can get out on the perimeter and guard without really sacrificing like what you need as an NBA defense. You need to be able to limit rim attempts. You need to be able to protect the rim. You need to eliminate good threes, typically corner threes. Some teams can kind of bypass that. And 
I just feel like Miami can kind of channel and play any style. So I do have concerns about them offensively, but a lot of what they do defensively eliminates that. And they've just stifled Atlanta. I feel like the only thing Atlanta had going for them is sometimes I think that Trey Young had a good outlet or made a skip pass in game two <laughs> and they got something off that or um, Bogdan had an yeah. incredible wow. shooting display. He hit three or four contested threes uh, in the second half. It was tremendous, but they really didn't have much going for them. John Collins doesn't quite look like John Collins. Um, they probably miss Clint Capella from the standpoint that he's still a good player. They don't want to overstretch a Kong Wu. And I just think that I probably overestimated the Hawks picking them the last six games. To me, this is more of a five, six series as opposed to a competitive six, which I kind of likened it to, but Miami's way better. I think they'll bring them down. And I think that it'll be an interesting off season for the Hawks because they made the playoffs, but they did not ride the same buzz that they had last year. Yeah. I think Miami's looking and Atlanta's not a great team. So it's like hard to gauge, but I think Miami's looking like a true contender they have the best defensive duo in the league, in my opinion, with Bam, who's a depoy level guy, and Jimmy Butler, who I think is like a top five non-big defender ever, maybe. And I think he's peaking. So, yeah, this team, it's a good team. I feel like they're getting overlooked. And the last series, Philly-Toronto, Philadelphia is ahead 3-0. A lot of people picked Toronto to win this. I was really surprised by that. Um, feels like there's a lot of Philly hate, a lot of Harden hate, which I know you're not a fan of. I think I saw where people were coming from with Toronto winning, but I never agreed. I had Philly in six. Now it looks like it's going to be Philly in four. Yeah, I, I don't even know what there is to say about this. It's just kind of... Yeah, there isn't too much to say about the series, to be honest. I'm a little biased about it. I was getting worked up on Twitter about it earlier. I just thought it was really odd how the series was portrayed as some even matchup. I was <laughs> kind of dumbfounded by that. I was like, are you serious? Yeah. Because I understand that, especially at the rim, James Harden isn't the same player, but I still think he's a better player than anyone on Toronto. I know that Pascal Siakam has had an all-NBA caliber season. He's been great. But I think this series has shown that when teams kind of lock in, clamp in, it's been really difficult for, for Fred Van Vliet and Pascal Siakam. Tough sledding. I will say, OJ Ananobi, he's kind of caught my eye. Previously, I viewed him as a guy who's going to have difficulty kind of creating, scoring, executing his own shot off the dribble in the playoffs. But he's gotten some, you know, drives, bump, and then taking a midi. He hit a step back three tonight. The catch and shoot game is pretty good. Good player in transition. And I think that. He almost seems like the perfect kind of secondary guy on a team. Like if you're a team like Brooklyn or Utah, you're probably not going to trade for a star. You got to see whatever you can do to get this guy on your team because I think Toronto's in a place where they're going to pick uh, one of these guys or two of these guys to move and they're going to star chase. I think that's what Masai is going to do. And I don't know who they retain. I don't know who they trade, but I think that they're going to say who's available. What's the price? Our offense in the half court wasn't good enough. Our defense is frisky, but we need to take the next step. We're going to do that with 
having a star shot creator. And I think that that's just the pathway for them. I think the future is bright. Um, I talked a lot of trash about them the past couple days. I think that um, I will say that they've just proven me wrong this year because I had them in the play in or the 11 seed before the season. Yeah. So they, they did shut me up about that. So credit to them for that. Um, yeah, I don't know. I don't really have much to add on the series because I think that it's going to be a sweep. Yeah, I think, again, like I saw where people were coming from giving Toronto a chance, but I thought it would be more like, yeah, they might be able to pull this out, but like obviously they're underdogs, but then it quickly turned into a lot of people just saying they think they were going to win outright. Like I've seen Toronto in six a lot. That shocked me. Harden is playing worse than I expected. He's still playing well, but I don't know. Maybe I was naive. I thought he would come back as like full superstar. And it's still, since the moment game one tipped off, at no point did it feel like Toronto is going to win the series. So I don't know. On the Harden front, he's definitely scoring less than I thought. I think he's at like 18 a game in the playoffs or something like that. I thought he would be around 22, 23. Yeah. Otherwise, he's basically doing everything I anticipated. I will say the worry is I'm not too concerned with the Miami matchup. Just I think that they're going to switch a lot. Harden's going to get the best matchup possible, and I think he's going to drive off that. I think he's going to goad them into some fouls just with some of the tendencies of guys like Tucker um, on the perimeter to use their hands and mm-hmm. kind of get those ticky-tack plays. But with the Milwaukee series and maybe by extension, the Bucks or excuse me, Boston series, I think there is concern, especially if Robert Williams is back, that Harden is not jumping well at the rim. I think he's driving pretty good. I think he's getting lots of driving kicks to Danny Green, Tobias Harris, Tyrese Maxey's playing great off the catch. But uh, that's kind of what's limiting me from putting Philadelphia above Milwaukee and Boston. Basically, right now, I kind of have them intertwined in the same tier, and I think that there's pathways for all of them, but they all have something holding them back. The Celtics have the Robert Williams injury. The 76ers have the slight James Harden question mark. People would probably say it's a huge question mark. I'm not too concerned up until the tipping point where it's the very best of the best teams. And then the Bucs, they just haven't been the Milwaukee Bucks really the whole season, Mm -hmm. so we'll see how they fare. But Exciting times. I think that the first round is largely going to deliver. I think that it is a little bit disappointing that one of the four or five series is going to be four or five games long. But (laughs) I think that it's kind of made up for with the Memphis and Minnesota series being pretty promising. Chicago is putting up a good fight. There's some intrigue kind of with Utah's core being dependent on this series versus Luka hopefully not rushing back too early off an injury. I mean, shoot, I really don't want to see Devin Booker get injured because it's just horrible for his career and kind of the trajectory of the franchise. And we've seen what hamstring injuries have done to Chris Paul, James Harden, even Mike Conley two years ago. So that's horrible. Hopefully he's healthy, but there's just so many different ways I could see this playing out. I usually don't agree with the stance that, oh, the league is so wide open. But I think, relatively speaking, I would consider this year wide open. Yeah, definitely, for sure. Um, yeah, one last thing on the Harden thing. 
it feels a lot like John Wall when he came back last year after all the injuries. He seemed completely fine getting to his spots, like running, driving, but it was the finishing, actually elevating to the rim where you seen where you could see the injuries take a hit. I think Harden feels similarly right now, even though the injuries weren't the same. It's just Yeah, that's interesting because I was watching, I watched a fair amount of the Rockets last year, and I would say that John Wall still is one of the, at least last year, I have no idea how he is right now, but he was one of the fastest players even last year. He was still really fast, but I think he only shot something horrible, like 52, 53% at the rim. And then a lot of the times he just ended up taking some dreadful mid-range pull-up, which I don't like to be like, oh, a mid-range jumper is bad, but you, you don't want John Wall taking <laughs> six of those shots or whatever that's a pretty good parallel i do think that this offseason harden will adjust but i think that right yeah. now it is something that milwaukee and boston will be able to capitalize on yeah agreed and that brings us to the end of all the playoff series so far are there any last thoughts you have on anything really i'm just excited to kind of see how the rest of the series go i think that the tipping points in every series. So game three, five, seven, and obviously one self-explanatory that those are the kind of best moments in the series, especially if it's tied. And even if it's, um, you know, not, not a tied series, if it's two Oh, then game three basically decides whether the rest of the series is going to be a factor, stuff like that. It's just exciting and really pumped. Um, the next couple of weeks are going to be, incredible so much basketball and then it gets a little depressing once the conference finals roll around and it's only one game a day and if something happens in a game that everyone talks about if player x plays bad it can it can just be such an echo chamber sometimes but exciting times otherwise yeah i guess the last thing that i want to say boston brooklyn looks like the best series i've ever watched i hope this goes seven it honestly kind of reminds me of 2018 Rockets versus Warriors, which until now I think is the best series I've watched live. So, yeah. Oh, wait, uh, one more thing. Uh, should we give, like, if you had to right now, could you give a prediction on what you think the conference finals and finals will be? Okay. I still think Phoenix, Golden State. Golden State, I'm feeling more confident in than ever. And how much I mean of that do you think is just Denver? probably being one of the bottom two or three playoff teams. Well, there's that, but also I don't think Memphis or Minnesota really could scare Golden State at all in the second round. I think they're pretty much guaranteed a conference final spot unless something. Yeah, I don't know. I'm kind of intrigued by the Memphis series, but I think they would murder the Timberwolves. I hope <laughs> I hope that something happens and that's not the series. Hopefully Yoka can somehow win four games and – my Timberwolves upset the Grizzlies and they can prosper, but <laughs> that's obviously not going to happen. Yeah. And then on the other side, I feel like I still have to take Phoenix. But I I mean, I guess I could see Dallas or Utah doing it depending on the state of the Devin Booker injury. And maybe there's even some insane world where Phoenix just can't do it without Booker. New Orleans <laughs> wins the series. And then Brandon Ingram and CJ lead them to a win over Dallas or Utah. And you have an eight seed in the conference finals. I mean, very unlikely, but that would be funny. But yeah, I think Phoenix, Golden State still. I haven't really changed on that. I guess just pending the Booker injury. Because if he's not playing, I would take Dallas over Phoenix. 
And then on the other side, I have Philly. I want to say Miami now, but I guess I'll say Miami. But like, if it's Philly, I like it won't surprise me at all. Um, and then on the other side, I guess I would have to say Boston. I think, but like. A part of me still feels like Brooklyn. I think whoever wins Boston, Brooklyn is going to the conference finals. And it looks like Boston's more likely right now because they're up 2-0. But a part of me wants to still say Brooklyn's going to do it. It's just a KD fanboy in me, I guess. And then, yeah, I would still... I So I guess Phoenix, Boston could be my finals prediction. But I still think Phoenix... Golden State, Miami, Philadelphia, Milwaukee, Boston, and Brooklyn can all get to the finals and win. So, yeah. What about you? So, largely in agreement. In the West, I have Phoenix and Golden State still. And then in the East, I do have Philadelphia making the conference finals, although that second-round matchup will be a battle. And then – Yeah, I can't wait. Oh, this is kind of a point of disagreement, too. I'm still in on the Bucks. There are concerns with the defense, especially with some of the lineup data with Lopez looking a little puzzling, and then Serge Ibaka not really in the playoff rotation. So we'll see where they go, you know, missing the Tucker piece, but that would be kind of my final four teams. And if I had to pick conference champions, I would pick Milwaukee and Phoenix right now with the caveat that we'll see how Chris Middleton and uh, Devin Booker progress with their health. That's probably a little naive of me to say right now, given that you probably shouldn't pick injured teams to make it to the uh, finals, but I just haven't adjusted yet because I haven't looked into it enough yet. And then in the championship, I would side with the Bucks over the Suns again, but lots of time for me to change my prediction, switch my prediction back and forth and ponder it in my mind for weeks on end. <laughs> yeah. I guess for championship, I would stay strong with Phoenix, but I don't know. Maybe I'm underestimating injuries, but okay. I guess that brings us to the end. Thank you so much for coming on, Jackson, and let the viewers know where they can find you. So on Twitter, obviously my name is Jackson Lloyd, and I'm at Jackson Lloyd NBA on Twitter. I recently changed my app, and then I also do the NBA Action with Jackson podcast. And the ad for that is at NBA Action Pod. Uh, definitely make sure to follow him on Twitter. For sure, one of the best follows I have. You guys can find me at TruthTellerNBA on Twitter or NBA.TruthTeller on Instagram. Thanks for coming on, man. Yeah, of course. Thank you for having me on. Gave me something to do and look forward to on a Wednesday night. <laughs> of course. See you. See you later.